Okay. Thank you guys very much. I'm just going to pray real quick and then uh, kind of get going because this was a really interesting week. Uh, well, we'll pray first. Jesus, thank you. <laughs> thank you for everybody in this room. Lord, you know what's about to come out of my mouth. We wrote it down. Hopefully it sounds right. But uh, if not, you bless it. Jesus' name, amen. Okay. No. <laughs> All right, no. So interesting thing happened this week. So I was like, ooh, what is it like to be saved? And, you know, when you have to, like, give a message, sometimes you struggle or you're always looking for things. And, you know, for you guys who are educators in the rooms or parents, some of you guys have that wisdom, like everything's a teachable moment. And, and some of you guys are like, ooh, wait, you know, everything just kind of teaches to you. And then, you know, for some of us, we drive our lessons from popular culture. But this week was pretty awesome because I was like, God, could you help me this week? And lo and behold, I got a story from, well, a place I didn't expect it, the TV news. Now, the TV news was great this week because we talked about being saved and um, like, what does it mean? And so then the greatest illustration came on. I found myself cheering this week. So I, I don't know. I used to be a junior high pastor, and I just could identify with this so much. There was a soccer coach in uh, Thailand, probably out doing his thing with his little 13, 12, 13, 14-year-old boys, you know, doing soccer practice. And I, I know kids, they're like, hey, let's go here. And they're like, that sounds like a good idea. And they all rode their bikes to a cave and... And, you know, and I can imagine what happened. They were like, hey, let's go in the cave. Coach was like, good idea. We've been here before. Let's do it again. And then, well, they got stuck. And all of us were just cheering it on like, oh, let's, let's help the boys out and stuff like that. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to go to a, a video because I thought this was a pretty neat little story for those of you who are not familiar with it. More on the cave rescue in Thailand and how those children and their coach managed to stay alive for 10 days before rescue has finally, finally found them. Our foreign correspondent, James Longman, has been covering this from the start, and he joins us now with those details. Good morning, James. Good morning, Michael. An extraordinary moment here as we are now learning that entire team is now free of that cave. All 12 players and their coach have made it out. They are all uh, either in the hospital or on their way there. It's an extraordinary thing and as we're learning more about the kinds of conditions they've survived. New details this morning about just how that soccer team, who left their bikes at the mouth of the cave before embarking on what was supposed to be a joyful excursion, managed to survive in treacherous conditions nearly three miles into the rock, losing all sense of time. Tomorrow, Monday, Monday, you have been here 10 days. The water both a threat and a lifeline, while avoiding the murky depths around them for fear of disease, they were able to drink the clear mineral water trickling down through the rocks. The team also went into the cave with a bit of food. Local press spoke to a woman who says she sold the team snacks like these, chips, sodas and orange drinks, before they followed their 25-year-old coach, Ekapol Chanthawong, into the caves for a fun excursion after practice. Rescuers say Ekapol, who remains in the cave, is one of the weakest members of the group because he selflessly gave all his snacks to the team. An orphan who lost his parents at age 10, Ekapol trained as a monk and has taught the boys to meditate in order to save their energy and remain calm underground. Lack of sleep, combined with being stripped of nearly all their senses, can lead to hallucination and paranoia in just three days. So, as I watched the, the events unfold this week, I thought to myself, this is amazing that these young men started their uh, journey going somewhere and then they just got stuck in this cave. And they needed to be rescued. They needed to be saved. 
And I don't know if you were with me, but I'd check out the story in the middle of the day, and I'd, like, I'd say a quick prayer, like, Jesus, get them boys out the cave, you know, and, and you'd hear stories. Unfortunately, there was a story of one of the rescuers dying to, to try to save the young men, and they, they were stuck three miles deep into a cave, and I thought to myself, like, oh, I hope they all get out. And then this story, and like many others, refers to a story a couple of years ago, I think it was like four or five years ago, where there were a lot of miners who got stuck in the cave, and they got... They got um, there was a, a movie made out of it, and we were all just cheering because sometimes, I don't know about you, but the TV news can be depressing if you just, like, you know, turn it on and it's depressing. So you're just hoping for hope. You're just like, oh, my goodness, I want something good to happen. And, like, the joy and the relief that happened when these young men were brought fr- uh, from that cave was just awesome. And it made me think of, like, when we talked about w- what it's like to be saved we have to get like real basic because the idea of within Christian circles is that to be saved means to be rescued or pulled from something. That your life was headed in a particular direction and that you, you were in one place and now you're, you're being rescued or being taken to another place. But inadvertently, and, and many times we kind of mean it from a standpoint of you've been rescued from hell and are going to heaven. And a lot of times what has happened in uh, tr- Christian traditions um, is, is that we kind of stop there. It's like, oh, you've been saved from hell, and, and that's it. And as we're going through this so series, I think that it's important for us to kind of figure out like where we are. And so we started off this series by, with Pastor Kevin talking about what's wrong with the world. And he talked about like missing the mark or sin. And if you've been in tr- Christian traditions long enough, it talks about you've been saved from sin and the ultimate, uh, ultimate path of going to hell. Then, like P- PK, in tr- typical spark fashion, blows our minds with, why did Jesus have to die? Then, like in the middle of the sermon, as he always does, you're like, well, of course he had to die, and all that other good stuff. And he goes, he didn't have to. Then he talks about, he blows our mind with, he didn't have to die, but it was, then he puts it as a, it was a choice and that the themes of Christianity, uh, of, of Jesus making this choice, and, and, and that's kind of how, where we are with it. As one of the central frames of our faith is that Jesus chose that particular path to disarm, like, the, the, the world system. And then Omer last week, like, he just drops it, and then he talks, uh, he reintroduces another core theme of our text, of, of our faith, which is the resurrection and how living, uh, and how the resurrection and living the way of Jesus. And then he talked with 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 26, and we get these themes of like unseen world. And all of this is, is that like, all of it is, is that like, if you've grown up in religious setting, you've most likely heard at some point, some type of concept of the afterlife. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but, uh, We've heard about that, and we'll talk about that later. But if you've grown up in the setting, in a mainline, in, a, in the Protestant mainline, non-denominational traditions, then you were taught that if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, surely you're saved from hell. The place where bad people who haven't accepted Lord, their, Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior go. Well, if you're good enough, uh, well, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to heaven, and that's it. And there's all sorts of, like, messages in between, depending on your particular context. The point was that you were saved from eternal damnation, that you were not going to spend the rest of your life in this torture, which someone will get into next week. 
But within some parts of Christian culture, I, I believe that like you can go anywhere and hear these wonderful stories. You can see the challenges that has been promoted as the answer. And when it's been promoted as the answer, I think that I know what they're trying to say, but I kind of think it gets misconstrued. I think that we can go to all sorts of churches and paraministries and hear these people who've had these like wonderful stories of how they were in situations with like drug addiction or, or, or struggling with particular areas of their lives. And the only thing that kind of brought them out of it was their faith. But inadvertently, I think we end up celebrating a certain type of salvation. I, I think that like we get to this point where like it's all tied up and ends up in this neat little bow. So I think the typical salvation story goes like this. Well, I got saved and now I have a great marriage and no troublesome, uh, and my troublesome spouse and I are great. And as a man, I got saved from addiction to X-rated uh, material and now I have the perfect marriage. And, and a rebellious woman, she gets saved and now she lives under the full submission of her, uh, of her husband who had a porn addict, who was a porn addict, and they have three kids, a white picket fence, uh, white picket fence and they live happily ever after. And I feel like somewhere along the line, we've, we've, we start like, ooh, I was in trouble, and now we just end up there. But I would like want to contend with you today that being saved is not just about heaven and hell, that it's not just about an afterlife. In fact, I think Jesus was like prepping us before, uh, beforehand. If you look at John 16, 33, I mean, Jesus is sitting there with his disciples, and he tells them like, hey, all right, check it out. It's about to happen. And I'm pretty sure his disciples are all amped up like, yeah, all right, cool. We about to overthrow Rome. And yeah, you know, you know the story. In fact, uh, Kevin referenced it a couple of uh, weeks ago. But then Jesus goes, hey, I've told you these things so that in this world you may have peace. Hey, but I got to leave you with a promise. I'm going. But in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I'm pretty sure they were a little confused there because it was like, well, what you, what you mean? We're we going to have trouble. I, I don't, you know, there's certain promises in the Bible like I don't like. I don't like that one. Like you couldn't have, you know, I like the, you know, peace surpasses all understanding if you keep praying. And, and I like the, the, the divine reciprocity laws of, you know, what you reap, what you'll sow and all that other stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't particularly prefer the ones where you're going to have, like, what you mean I'm going to have trouble? You know, like a trouble, like, like can, we, can you give me a glimpse of the trouble so I can at least know it's coming? But if you live life long enough, you know that you're going to have trouble. Like if you're single in this room and you're not married, any married person will tell you, hey, you're you doing pretty good. Like you, you really are. And it's not... Like, no, I mean, really, no, you're doing pretty good. You're thinking, oh, I need somebody. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't. We want to know why? It's because you have to deal with another person in your life. That's called trouble. And it's not because, and you chose that person. I mean, really, like, I'm thinking, I ain't a parent yet, but I imagine you got little distinct personalities running around, talk, looking at you crazy. Like, I feed you. I do all sorts of stuff for you. How are you going to talk back to me? Wait, I don't get this. Like, you, should, you owe me. You owe me. <laughs> That's real. <laughs> like, what in the world? Like, wait, why you keep asking for stuff? I just fed you like 15 minutes ago. Like, that's real. <laughs> and they keep coming at you. And I think he was saying, in this world, you're going to have a little bit of trouble. And so, like, he leaves us with this particular promise. And so I would want to contend with this is that, like, Paul later on tells us that 
salvation isn't just about what happens when we die, but it's an ongoing process. I believe that, like, for whatever reason or another, somewhere along the line in our culture, maybe it's just within our our particular context, we do this kind of happy ending where we start from point A and then we just get to point D, but there's no B, C before we get to D. And I would contend with you that salvation is constantly being worked out. And we even see this within the text. We talk about it with Philippians. So here's Paul, and he talks about how, therefore, dear brothers, as you've always obeyed, and not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God, for it is to God to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I honestly believe that at some particular point that our salvation, this process, this thing we call a relationship with God is still constantly being worked out. Because if you look at it within the, the, the context of like the boys being saved, they just, no one just said, hey, you guys in there? No, there was a process before they went from being in that cave and being brought out. And just like any other area of our lives, there is a process from where you are to, to, to uh, for where you were to where you're at. See, when you're in like a marriage situation, People just don't all of a sudden become great spouses. I'm, I'm telling you that right now. You, you just don't. You have to learn how to live with that person as you become one with, uh, with your life. And it's like, hey, all right, now we, we're learning. But people tend to see, like, the, the outside effects of it. And so I just I kind of think that, like, it's this continual process. And I believe that the process of salvation allows us to become more like Jesus. It allows us to become better image bearers but God. But before we get there, we're going to have to go through the process, and we're going to have to constantly be working uh, on it. So we got to learn how to give people grace. What I love about the church, what I love about like this thing we call the body is, is that it allows us to be human beings. And, and like real human beings, like you can struggle with it. I mean, that's what I love about 12-step programs or the, the recovery community. You know what's really cool about the recovery community? It's like they, you, you have to get street cred to be in the recovery community. Like, you ever been to an AA meeting? If you have, you know, you, this ain't the place, so you don't have to be anonymous here. But, you know, I mean, think about it. Like, you go to an AA meeting, they're like, I was an alcoholic or I am an alcoholic. And they let you speak because you have some credibility. Like, you, you was an alcoholic. You was out there. And, like, sometimes I feel like, you know, the longer you are away, they, they, they let you know, like, hey, um, I was out there. I was an alcoholic. I was drunk. And there are people in that community that are like, hey, I, I can I identify with because they know where they were at. And they're eventually trying to get to where that person who's able to talk about where uh, their freedom from alcohol. So they're like, they want to get there. So they, they go through this particular process. But sometimes I feel like within church community, like, you know, Somewhere on the line, we just, we just arrived, and, and I don't think we go through that process because, like, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but have you ever felt like the church can handle our sins that, like, we used to do because we get to talk about that? And we know, theologically speaking, that, like, it can handle our sins in the future, but what about our current sins? What about the things that we're struggling with right now? What about those doubts? What about those, those just the, you know, I mean, I don't know. Like I tell my wife all the time, I'm not all the way there yet. I, I, she will tell you that I'm not all the way there yet. I'm, I am a selfish person. I am, I am vain. I look at myself in the mirror 
a lot. <laughs> Way more than I should. Like, that's because I look good now. I used to not look, well, I, I look good back then, but I just look better now. Like, I, I, have, a, I have a deflated sense of, uh, inflated sense of self, you know. But, and I know, you got, you got, I got to deal with it. But like, and, and it's hard because as a, as a follower of Jesus, and in particular when you're a leadership or a pastor, like, I feel like you can't share yourself. Like, I feel bad for Pastor Danielle and Kevin sometimes because, you know, if you get to know them, they're some real nice quality human beings. But y'all got to let them off the hook. Let them be themselves. I mean, every once in a great while, they're going to mess up. I mean, they're going to say some stuff, you know, that you know that you, you know, work your nerve a little bit because, well, that, they're human beings. But remember, it's salvation, and they're still working it out with fear and trembling. And I honestly believe that we are still working it out in fear and trembling. And so we see this very early on in the text. So imagine Jesus is all up, and we look at it in Acts, and, and like Jesus, he's ascended, and they're like, well, what do we do now? And I believe we see them constantly, just today, just like today, working out their salvation. Could you imagine that Pentecost, everybody's coming in, we all Jewish followers and everything, and then everybody's coming in, we're like, we're cool, then persecution breaks out, and we're still trying to work that out. But imagine what happened when those first Samaritans came in. And you're like, huh, well, Samaritans can come too. But they were still working it out. And then as, as the, the message spread, as, as, as people were really, really excited, non-Jewish people started to come in, and it was like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, what you mean? The, the Romans, the, the Gentiles want to come in? Uh, they were still figuring out ways to work it out. And it's docu- well documented that within the first hundred years of our story, no one could distinguish Christianity from Judaism. It was just really a separate sect, but somewhere along the line, like there was this split and there became this distinct culture. I still believe that within the context of salvation, they're still working it out. And I believe that we've always been working it out. We have, I don't know how many different denominations within our text, I mean, within our, our, our framework, I believe we're still working it out. And because we're still working it out, we're still trying to figure out how to apply it in our lives. Even within our own country, I believe that we're still trying to figure out how do I work out? How do I act saved? I believe that the founding fathers may have had some pretty good ideas, except for that whole three-fifths of a person slavery thing. But, you know, we're still working it out. Because there were Christians who was like, no, that's not right. But then there were other followers of Jesus who was like, no, this is right. And they were still trying to work out their particular salvation and, and, and work, like, how do I live this out? And you see it within the, civil, uh, the context of the Civil War, how there was a struggle there within this country. And some people was like, hey, we want to preserve this way of life, which includes slavery. Some people was like, nah, bro, we don't do that. They're still going to work it out. And then there's like all sorts of things with post-reconstruction uh, and Jim Crow laws and uh, voting rights acts and stuff like that. And I still believe that a lot of Christians were behind both sides of these issues. And I still honestly believe that we're still trying to work out that salvation. And I still believe that even with uh, how do we relate to our uh, LGBT brother and sister, and like we're still trying to figure out how do I apply the teachings of Jesus? How do I apply this? Because I believe we're still working it out. And in while working it out, and within working it out, we pick up some things. Within working it out, we're still, we, we may look like the, at the end, uh, the end product, 
but you, you pick up some disciplines. You pick up some things that you don't even know are good for you. So for those of you who may not know my, uh, like my fitness journey, right, I used to weigh 314 pounds at my top weight. Now I weigh about a little bit, well, 100 pounds less than that. And I realized that by constantly doing exercise, by constantly doing some things that I didn't recognize that, oh, I was, um, I was being saved. Uh, the, that I was being saved from diabetes, and I was being saved from high cholesterol, that, that, that was a, there was a constant thing going there. But I picked up certain disciplines. One of the disciplines that I picked up a long time ago was working out. And I recently learned that what happens in your brain, uh, what happens in your brain is, is that when you exercise, like all sorts of dopamine and things are released. And as you do that, right, it actually helps fight off depression, and I used to work at a large church, abundant life, and unfortunately some things occurred where I got laid off, and I thought that this was going to be like my life. Uh, because like when you're a youth pastor or working at a large church, I mean, things just seem like they're going to go well. And you're like, this is great. I've arrived. There's nothing going to happen. And then this thing called life happens. And I got laid off, and I didn't realize that I was depressed, but I had this habit of working out all the time. So I'm lifting all sorts of weight, doing cardio, and, and just kept doing it over and over again. And even though I, had, I wasn't losing weight, I later would discover that by all the exercising that I was doing, by all of that, the dopamine that was uh, released was actually fighting a real big depression. And I was working that out as a, as a habit that got picked up for me. Then... Two years after that, I decided, or actually probably a year after that, 2015, 2014, I started thinking about, you know, you work out a lot. You, you don't feel healthy. You, you got to figure out, like, how to lose weight. And somewhere along the line, I, I found a, a food regimen and everything that kind of worked for myself. And over two years, I just started to slowly lose weight. And I was losing weight slowly and slowly and slowly. But what I didn't know is, is that, again, by changing the way I ate, by working out, I was building up life habits that would occur, that would help me be in a better state. And I realized that, oh, wow, I'm healthier now. And my family legacy comes from diabetes, high cholesterol, and all that other good stuff. And it was like, oh, it's still being worked out. And I didn't even, uh, you look up one day and you see some pictures and see some muscles or whatever. And you're like, oh, wow, check that out. I've got some disciplines in my life that led me to uh, a healthier, uh, I guess, ideal fit body. But these are some of the things that I ended up working out. And I would argue that some of the discipline, some of the things that we pick up while trying to follow Jesus help us become better image bearers of Jesus, help us get to learn to work this out a little bit better. See, you know that by being in community with people who share the same belief as you, and although it may not be the exact same, by, by listening to people from different points of view, you become a better person. Because somebody who's uh, more, as they say, with the um, more seasoned saint, somebody who's older or much more mature than you in faith, can offer you a perspective in some area of your life that you didn't know. Like, if you are, are, are freshly married and, you, you know, you've been married for, like, maybe within, like, two or three years, you know what's really cool is talking to people who've been married for, like, 12, 13 years. And if you've been married for 12, 13, 15 years, talking to people who've been married for, uh, like, 30, 25, 34, because could you imagine being with somebody that long? Like, you know, I mean, no, no offense to you 20-year folks who've been married, but gosh, wow, like, woo! Like, I mean, no, I love my wife. 
but I work her nerves. I can't imagine her with me for the rest of my life. Like, I, I'm, I'm not going to be surprised one day if I wake up and she's choking me because, like, you know, no, like, I'm, I'm that bad. I'm going to let you know right now. Like, you're like, you know, she, she'll tell you, like, every day we still together. Like, every day that I'm alive, that's a blessing because I work her nerves. I mean, I'm, hey, I own up to mine. I am not the best husband in the world. I'll tell you that right now. But, you know, like, it just happens like that. But you, you learn from people who are, like, married 20, 30, and 40 years. You know, like you learn from people when you have like, uh, uh, when you learn how to carry it out in every ethic or area of your life. So say, for example, you first come to Jesus because I, you know, I went through this fundamental zealot phase where I was like, right or wrong, you're either on this side of salvation or you're not. It's either heaven or hell. That's it. And like, there was no in between. I don't know. Like I just annoyed myself a little bit. I think back and go, wow, goodness gracious. And then you start to get to know people. And you get to go like, oh, wait, well, Jesus is walking with this person, too. And Jesus is walking with this person, too. And, and you begin to wrestle and you find that, oh, wow, wow, looking at this text differently or looking at um, wrestling with the text from different areas helps you grow and become a little bit spiritually more mature than you used to be. I mean, you, 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 you try to carry it out with how you treat other people, how you treat people in the environment, and you see it happen all the time. And I would even argue that Spark, this particular church community, is still learning how to work it out. And as we're working it out at Spark, you've learned how to wrestle and apply the text. You've learned how to, to look at it from your traditional points of view, from the, the liberal point of view, conservative point of view, and you learn how to look at, at things from multiple different points of view, and you're better off as a person of, of it. As we're unpacking specific teachings and learning to view them from different perspectives, you know what? We've picked up some disciplines at this church that I think are wonderful. We've learned how to observe and, and pray in a traditional, like, Hebrew setting. What's really cool I love about this church, I have to, like, when I go to other churches, a discipline of this church that I realize is not a value discipline is I'm so used to hearing small children at church when I go to other churches and I don't hear small children, I honestly think that something's wrong. I think that is a wonderful, wonderful discipline because I'm like, where the kids at? Where the babies at? You know, ain't nobody crying and whatnot. Like, you know, like that. But that's a wonderful thing. Like, that's a that's a sign of a healthy church. That's a sign of like everybody is welcome within that context. Everybody is welcome within that community. And I'd say that we picked this up because we're still working out our salvation. Um, we've learned how to embrace interfaith activities, which is really cool and awesome. Like, we share a space with a synagogue. Now, I don't know, like, I grew up, oh, well, when I first came to faith, again, very binary thinking. I thought that anything outside of the evangelical Christian context was just wrong, because you know the right or wrong thinking. So I was like, well, I know that there's, like, Jewish people in the Bible, and Jesus is Jewish, but they're not doing it the way that I know how to do it, so they're just wrong. You know, and, and, you, and I looked at it was an us versus them type thing you know what, come to this church, you end up picking up this discipline of like learning, you know, folk can be Jewish, folk can be Muslim, folk can be whatever, the people can be atheists. And it, has, it does not threaten your faith. You could just kick it and chill with them. Like they're not going, you know, it's not like atheists are going to go around like, you know what, I, I'm, I'm just sitting here in this church waiting for you to mess up. Like, no, nah, bro, like you, you, you can actually like hang out with them. They, they all right, they not. Not bad folks or whatever like that. You know, and, and it's within that particular context that you learn and you pick up these disciplines and you become a better person. And I would argue with you that you're working out your salvation. 
used to be incredibly, incredibly narrow-minded about the LGBT community and, and just couldn't fathom it. Although I was very liberal from a government standpoint because I just I still never understood. Like, I get from a church point of view why folks was like, ooh, we don't want to uh, observe this type of marriage, but I never got it from the government standpoint. But then I thought, oh, wait, it's all bad. We need to be like that type of person, this type of government. And then, I don't know why, as I was reading the text, saw image bearers of God, and I was like, hmm, it's a little different. And I found that when you are in community with those who are, who are different than you, and y'all just kick it and, and hang out, like, you drop certain points of views real fast, real quick, because I was like, hold up, I'm not, I, I'd rather be in relationship with you than be right. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be in a relationship with them right. I, I don't know how it works, but all that I know is, is that if you love Jesus and I love Jesus and we all working towards uh, like being better image bearers of God, hey, we're still working it out. And you're still working out that salvation. And I, I don't know what it's like to be a parent. I don't know what it's like to, to, to do whatever it is you do, to be within whatever profession it is. But I imagine that you're always wrestling with how can I be a better image bearer of God and, and work this out in this particular ethic? How can I be a better engineer? How can I be a better doctor? How can I be a better parent? And I would contend with you that it's not about the heaven or hell, but as you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, you're going to pick up habits and you're going to learn how to be a better parent. Like, I love those memes. <laughs> I look at the internet way too much, but I love those memes about like people who've had multiple children. I think this is so awesome when they go the first one, they were like, oh my gosh, I'm real scared. And by the time they get to the fourth or fifth one, it's like just eating dirt off the floor. Just like, hey, whatever, you know, like I imagine that you're like, hey, by this time we didn't, we didn't got with the fourth or fifth one. Hey, hey, do what you got. Are you still alive? Hey, we're doing good jobs as parents. Because, you know, you got to imagine because your parenting looks tiring. I don't have kids, left, but my goodness, for parents, what in the whoa? You get up in the morning thinking about another human being all the time. That's not to mention your spouse. They're, they're, you get up and it's like, oh, my goodness, like, what is this child going to do today? And not because they're bad people, but because children are unpredictable. Like, they just are. Like, you know, I mean, whoa. Like, you know, like, they're, 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 you don't know what they're going to do. Like, you know, you're like, hey. And they say things that just come out their mouth. And. I love about little kids is they say things that I really want to say. I wish I had the non-filter of like a three or four-year-old. Like, that's got to be such psychological freedom. Like, just, just to get that off your chest. Like, ooh, your breast stank. Whoa, that must feel wonderful. Like, I don't think that you're attractive. Wow, you know, like something's three or four. I mean, they're not being mean. They just kind of say what they want to say in that moment. You know, I just think that three or four-year-olds are highly psychologically evolved people. But that has nothing to do with the lesson right now. <laughs> but as we are going on our journeys, as we start off at point A, as we are being brought from something to somewhere, we're going to pick up habits. We're going to pick up disciplines. We're going to pick up things as a part of our ethic. They're going to make us better image bearers of God. And as we become better image bearers of God, we're still going to be working out that salvation. It's probably not until we get to the afterlife will we know. And I'm thoroughly convinced when we get to the afterlife, whatever that looks like, we won't know then. So don't be too hard on yourselves as you're working this thing out. Don't be too hard on yourself if you don't know whether to, how to vote, where to vote. 
don't be too hard on yourself if folks work your nerves and all that other good stuff. Because remember, you're working out that salvation with fear and trembling, and you're becoming a better image bearer of God. We're going to have troubles. They're coming. And ideally, we're just going to keep working on it to be better image bearers of God. So I would charge you today, Spark, and for those who are visiting, work out that salvation and keep working on it because we're all works in progress because we're not all there yet. We're still working on it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for um, this community. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that we get to still work on it. The fact that we're, we're not there yet and we're probably not going to ever be there. But as we keep working on it and we build in disciplines of like going to church, reading the Bible, um, things that, that help us become better image bearers of you, we're thankful. And I pray that we continually keep learning and growing in these areas and that we carry this ethic with this, not just about an afterlife, but we're working out our salvation in every area of our lives. And I pray that we have good weeks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.